0: When we're discussing such a heavy topic as what happened with the gin blossoms, we have to be reminded to make sure that we're taking care of our mental health, um, especially when things are a little bit tougher than they used to be at this time. So we want to make sure that if you need help or just need someone to talk to or you're feeling scared, you can reach out to the Canada Suicide Prevention Service 24-7, 365 days a year, 833-456-4566. Or you can text the word START, 2741741 If you live in the United States, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 24/7. I've had just yeah. just for this podcast alone I spent okay so I've been doing interviews now for a few weeks and it's been so exciting yeah but today was like wow wow it was a um I talked to Eric Martin the lead singer of Mr. Big
1: oh that's really cool
0: and I talked to him for over two hours
1: really yeah Whoa. like it
0: literally turned into one of those just straight-up conversations just two people chatting oh, that's about awesome
1: stuff. are you gonna how much of that are you gonna edit down do you think
0: what I might do is maybe put some bonus content out of some of it. So people have to, like, go on, the, go on the Patreon for some of it.
1: That's a good but idea. But I don't
0: want anyone to miss any of it, because it was just, like, the best ever. It was the best. Eh, best if chat. A,
1: if it's a two-hour conversation, it's a two-hour conversation. That's the way I look at it. If it's interesting, people are going to listen. That's true. Yeah. I don't and know why everybody's...
0: A, they have a huge fan base, too. So we're going to get a lot of Mr. Big fans who so will we'll tune yeah. into that. I
1: don't, like, I I... I I don't always understand, like, over-editing podcasts. One of the beauties of a podcast is it doesn't have to fit any kind of format. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's no time. There's no, it's not like fitting on a slot on, like, a station or something. That's it's not true. like, oh, yeah, we got to wrap this up because, you know, the drive-time DJ is, like, coming <laughs> in in five minutes. and. Uh,
0: the only time I have to wrap it up is I am like, oh, I got to go to work or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. But, like, for somebody at home listening, if they're enjoying the conversation and they have to... We can pause it and come back to it. I do that all the time. <laughs> I listen to a podcast on my way to work, and then you know, forty minutes later, there's still an hour and a half of the podcast. I'm like, ooh, awesome! I'll have something to listen to on my way back home tonight. You it's know?
0: a beautiful thing. Yeah, podcasting the is beautiful. Here, here's the the icing on the ch- is it cherry on the icing or icing on the cherry?
1: I'm pretty sure it's icing on the cake, but uh,
0: the cherry on top of the icing on the cake.
1: The well, the cherry is on
0: top. Okay, this is the cherry. Yeah, on everything. Um. The bass player of Mr. Big, Billy Sheehan, is mm-hmm. talking to me tomorrow. Ooh, you Wildly regarded as one of the best bassists of rock. You're gonna have a whole Mr. Big series. <laughs> it's gonna be a two parter. That's awesome. Yeah. It's gonna be a really and like I'm I'm a huge fan of that band. So yeah. this was
1: No, Mr. Big was whew. Mr. Big was big
0: <laughs> for a minute um well the thing is is they, they really hit it in japan mm. like they hit it big time i know
1: they're one i was just thinking that they're one of those bands that when you make that joke about big in japan mm-hmm. you're talking about Mr. that's big. literally what they did they had they, a couple of hits like you know, had one or two big hits and maybe a minor hit or two in north america and then they're still like they probably still pack stadiums in japan for all i know they do
0: yeah. they do and uh I mean, but Billy both Billy Sheehan and Paul Gilbert, who's their guitar player, they're both widely wild, widely regarded even in North America as phenoms mm-hmm. at their at guitar and at bass. So, they do have a they do have a huge uh, fan base here too, but it's more of like, you know, that underground rock fan base. It's not the top 40 kind of fans. You right. know what I mean? Guys who still want to go to like NAMM and they b- buy a guitar player magazine and they <laughs> yeah. shred, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. So I get it. Th-
0: th- those guys are like idols. They're the kind of guitar
1: players you see in, in the back of guitar player magazine selling stuff, <laughs> like
0: with endorsement
1: deals and things.
0: They, I'm sure that, well, they've got massive endorsement deals, those guys. Of course they do. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Today's episode of Dope Nostalgia. I want to introduce you to my co-host for today. He's also um, he's I'm a guest on his podcast too. Learning to Listen.
1: You're well L2L. It, yeah. At this point, you're you're really you're, you're a
0: co-host. More okay, than a guest. It's official. Yeah. Okay. Have we ever made it official? I don't know. I just like showing up. Yeah. Well, when I when I can. Yeah. Sometimes I sometimes no, I don't you, show
1: up. But you've really helped us out for the last little while. We were kind of in this lurch where we were like. You know, we had uh, another host, uh, Kaylee Cardinal, mm-hmm. and it was me and her who started the podcast together. Mm-hmm. And just as the podcast was getting busier, her career musically was taking off a little bit, and then scheduling just became an absolute nightmare. To we were we were taking a lot of time off, and then when you're trying to build the podcast, because you know we're still really new, we're like a baby podcast, even yep. at this point, seventy mm-hmm. some episodes in, we're still yep. just, we're brand new babies, uh, even then we saw like that we needed to <laughs> we needed to put something out there. We needed to have some content because you have to have a regular show. Yeah, no content means no listeners and then people uh, people stop listening altogether. So so yeah, so we were super happy to have you come on board because we'd had you on in the past and we were like, you know, out of everybody who we've talked to who I think we could like, you know, have a good rapport with. I like the word rapport. Rapport. It's with It's classy. T- <laughs> that you don't oh yeah pay. yeah that's true. Uh, yeah I figured Naomi would be the one and obviously you got the podcasting bug because here you are now doing dope nostalgia. Yeah. And I have to say good job. I, I've you know been listening a little bit and uh, not only am I impressed with the production but all but I'm just like really awesome, like blown away by you going after all these like celebrity <laughs> interviews and stuff.
0: I don't know what got into me. I don't know. I just go for it yeah. and and, and- here's the thing when they say yes or when they write me back Mm -hmm. i do this secret little like freak out where i'm like like yes and then like i just do it all by myself so no one sees it but i'm so excited to hear hear every time there's a yes and i'm just like well that's awesome it blows my mind
1: oh no i'm I'm, yeah i'm i'm blown away too because i'm always that kind of person who i don't want to bother people
0: yeah i don't know what it is about me maybe that says something about my um I don't know my self esteem or something. No, I don't want to bother people. And like, cause I see what it looks like to be bothered. Um, I put myself in these people's shoes mm-hmm. and, uh, you can see how people can approach them or talk to them on social media. And you're like, wow, these people are fucking rude to these guys. Like, like, or, or they're rude to them or they're really pestery or whatever. I don't want to be like that. Well,
1: just even on my small level of, uh, Pestery is not a word, by the way. I, <laughs> I wasn't going to call you out, but even on my small level of 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 being an entertainer of sorts, not just a podcast, but I also have the band uh, we give them Hellboys that Charlie is also in. Yeah, um, and we go play shows, and there's sometimes you know just even after a bar show or whatever a festival, and and people just expect you to be available to them, mm-hmm.
0: and I, I, sometimes I don't
1: like want to always engage everybody right away i need a minute like
0: that's the thing you need you need a minute to come down from that whatever whatever it a, is what, just just gather yourself yeah. gather your thoughts your feelings because it's it's intense being up there secondly like there's something to be said for yeah you should always make the time to talk to your fans you have totally. to make the time to talk I, to your i fans agree
1: but yeah because they put you there but the good show or bad show you know I've just put myself out there so much for however long. Yep. And I'm a person who, you know, I'd really try and like, i bring a lot of energy if I can. You know, I, I really try my best to put on a good performance. And sometimes that means like really <laughs> digging in and being like, okay, like, it's like, it's like getting up in the morning. and uh, What's the word? I don't, like not going to work or, but I'm just, you know, those days where even like brushing like the, your teeth some routine? days. Well, it's not even routine so much as just like there's days where you're not quite in the mood. I always want to do it. I'm always excited to do it. Humans can't always be on. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I can't always be on. And sometimes I have to just like grin and bear it and be like, okay, you know what? And I got to find that thing. And sometimes it takes a lot. Mm -hmm. And my instinct is to go away and hide (laughs) for a little while once I've got that out of me, you know, and... Then maybe I can take a breath and like. Is that
0: like what an introverted extrovert is? I think so. I definitely just, have. It, it just means that you need that time to recharge by yourself. Yeah. I do. I I, I need to be by myself quite right. a bit. So. But I also have, I'm also a social, social butterfly yeah, when I go out. Me too. Me too. So. so yeah, exactly. So
1: you, you get it. Yeah. That that introverted extroverted thing. Yeah. Where, okay, I there's something I get from putting myself out there but then also need that me time alone at the same, like, so I don't know, just, there's a balance. It's hard to strike. And I just assume that I should err on the side of not bothering people. <laughs> yeah, and I lose going my back nerves sometimes when it comes to like, uh, reach out to that person, talk to
0: that person. And I'm like, ah, they don't want to hear from me. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I had to get past that. And I, the way I did it is I approached them with a very simple, like uh, request, explain mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And, if you have some time to talk, that would be great. Let me know. If not, you know, enjoy your life or whatever. The mm-hmm. um, there, I probably approached at this point. We're in. This is going to be episode eight, I believe. This is so we're about two months in now, and um, I've probably written off written to about forty people, thirty to forty people. Okay. And now we're at the point where we have eight, eight or nine interviews. I've been putting interviews every other episode to to kind of span it out a bit, you know? Okay. Still, I
1: feel like that's probably a pretty good success rate. And as you get more interviews and the other people you approach see that you do have like some. That's right. Yeah. You know, credentials, essentially.
0: I was scared in the first two or three episodes because I'm like, I don't really have anything to prove that I'm anyone or doing something that's actually going to be online or available. Right. Until I actually have a product mm-hmm. under my belt. And we're at that point now. So it's been a fun ride, and I think it's only going to get better. I had a, oh, I wrote a message to one of uh, an old acquaintance of mine who used to work at the radio station Power ninety two. He, oh, yeah. he was the drive home DJ, Shotgun Sean Evans. Oh holy
1: shit, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah,
0: I oh, I messaged him and I said, do you want to come and do a do come be my guest? On, or he's well, we'll probably do it over the phone or whatever. But he's going to do a guest spot for me we'll we'll talk about the old Power 92 days.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And the, yeah. The, the 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 phrase that pays and mm-hmm. <laughs> all that. Power 92 is one of the first stations. Okay, so this will be in context of the 90s. I remember holding an old like uh tape recorder with a microphone built in (laughs) it was like one of those microphones that you had a little curly cord on the side that like clipped to the side Mm -hmm. i think it was a sony or something and then holding the holding the 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 little microphone the built-in microphone to my alarm clock radio to tape things like you can't touch this yes and vanilla ice and having just oh, probably the worst sounding tape, but it was great to me that I would play back on that tape machine that had like DJs cutting in uh, <laughs> like commercials oh. or, ha- you know, start the song kind of late and it'd be garbled for the first couple or whatever. But that was my copy of the tape, you know, like and I, I
0: would listen to those over and over again. Everybody in our, in our age group um, made their own tapes off the radio. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that was the thing is, though, like part of your job is as a DJ was to talk to the post, which meant you talk through the intro of the song until you get right in front. Power 92. The singing starts, right? So they'd ruin every tape I made (laughs) because I wanted to get the whole song without a voice in it talking right to the post. The only time I found I could ever get that was if uh, I did it on the overnight shift sometimes. Sometimes it wouldn't be an on-air personality. Maybe they were just somebody running the tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So sometimes you could do that. But I mean, it wasn't that I didn't go out and buy music cause, but I was like 11. So, and I was at the, uh, mercy of my mother to oh, be like, exactly. to go buy stuff. So by like, I really like this song. So I'm going to tape it.
1: Yeah. Well, you think I'm going to talk my mom into, to buying me? Like I, th- I'm, I remember getting her to buy me crisscross nice. on cassette. Um, Bad Out of Hell I got for Christmas, <laughs> like on Bad, cassette? Out, of two. On Bad cassette? out of Hell Two on cassette. Well,
0: I would do it. That's that's everything for love, one right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anything for love. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else in the era. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there was a few cassettes I could talk her into getting for me, but it would have to be like convenience. It would have to be like she dragged me to the mall and we were going past like like the you know what was that Music World? Yeah. Uh, in Kingsway, I think that always had. T- tapes and bins at the front that were like the cheap, cheap ones it's the not clearance a, yeah but it's crazy because there was like popular well-selling albums in there yeah but at the time cds were all the things so the cassette versions would just go to the cheap bins at the front and the <laughs> cds were yeah and so i could talk my mom into buying me like yeah bad out of hell for five dollars yeah know, as opposed to the cd for 15 to 20
0: that's true because like, well, there's, there was usually two main methods that I used to get her to buy me stuff. First of all, I begged a lot. I was a little brat. Mm-hmm. I was such a brat when it came to music and going to HMV and begging. Ridiculous. But I, I couldn't, I think at least three times where I signed up for Columbia House on separate occasions oh, and, yeah. and, and she didn't approve it. And I just like faked a signature or something on the, on the contract that you send in.
1: Well, remember you had to and, you had to opt out of the
0: week, the yes. monthly yeah. CD or cassette or whatever yeah, when you signed up. For? I got in a lot of trouble
1: with well, that. Well, then that's how they got a lot of people too, is because you you would forget about it and you wouldn't opt out, so then they would just send mm-hmm. you a bill or whatever. Yeah, was, like right? thirty
0: bucks for a CD. Yeah, but I got a couple of cool CDs that way in, back in the day that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. There's some people out there that might not understand what the Columbia House thing is, so I'm going to go over it briefly. Columbia House used to take out ads in magazines, newspapers, get 12 CDs or 12 cassettes for one penny, right? So you would get your initial order of whatever music you wanted and they'd charge you nothing. And then monthly, they would send you their magazine, their little catalog, and it would come with like a a cardboard slip saying the selection of the month and that selection of the month was going to be mailed to you for full price every month, unless you submitted the card back in saying, no, I don't want it Mm -hmm. and mailing it in. Now a lot of people never did mail them in and that's where you got yourself into debt and into trouble.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, but at least in our era, they were the legitimate artists. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember going through my parents, like digging through my parents' records and eight tracks and stuff from back in the day. And I'd get excited because I'd be like, Oh, you've got, I don't know, let's just say Creedence Clearwater Revival or whatever. And, uh, you know, go to put it on. I'd be like, this isn't Creedence Clearwater Revival. This is some band covering Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like They're <laughs> great. But you can tell these are like half-assed re-recorded versions. I'd be what the fuck? They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what they used to do back in the day. They would get the license to just do these half-assed uh, reproductions because you could pay a lot less to, you know, get some... Studio musicians in And do cover versions of songs And then released those To these record club things Yeah and have that built in Sort of thing or whatever Ktel
0: just, Like that shit?
1: Well not even Ktel Because K-Tel would be Actual legitimate collections That you would buy like Still uh, the actual artists Yeah like you go to Sears And buy a K-Tel You know that's where they put, They did, or, or, they did or a lot of those Mail, mail, mail order I, Yeah mail order on TV Allow
0: four to six weeks For delivery
1: Yeah these were just Legitimate generic Like the It would, it would be called like you know, the hits of Creedence Clearwater Revival or something like that, you know, generic, but it would never say performed by, you know, if you read the, like, fine print, you would find out, oh, it's not really, it's, you know, the whatever session players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, but, because... If you were in that record club, you'd be like, yeah, I well, want Creed's Clearwater Revival's Greatest Hits. Like, that's what you're thinking. And mm-hmm. then you just get, you know, whoever, studio musician, being like, I see a bad mood. Rest. I'd be so pissed off if I got that. Yeah, but if you... I'd be if, like,
0: I'm never playing this for my friends. This is embarrassing. Yeah,
1: exactly. My parents had a pile of these, and I'm like, when well, they're like, yeah, well, you know, you you forget to opt out or you forget to cancel it. Like, they just keep sending you these things, and you keep getting bills for them.
0: Like, yeah. yeah. So it was that way I would get... I'll get all my music or the other way would be obviously the begging. But I mean, when my first I bought my first CD, it was Porno Graffiti by Extreme. The first one I actually purchased in a, in a store and it was twenty five ninety nine. This was that's expensive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Very expensive. It is
1: expensive. It so, was expensive then even.
0: Very much so. Yeah. Um, I think when it was like very new to get it on disc at that time. And then it started to kind of regulate a bit. The prices went down a bit. I, well, I in remember the next my, year.
1: I remember like yeah, my parents complaining about like you know me wanting CDs and being like fifteen dollars for a CD. You
2: know?
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> like they thought that was expensive, but they were also paying like five, six, seven dollars for a record or an eight track back in the day. You know? yeah. Like that's their that's their frame of reference. But you know what blows my mind is uh, I don't know. I'm not really buying CDs these days, but CDs are, like, outmoded technology. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've had not just streaming things like that, but we 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 could have had much better stuff. So we could have had HD audio, Blu-ray audio, DVD audio, all kinds of things since. And yet, you go to the store, and a CD will still be $15.
0: <laughs> yeah. I and mean, yeah. I bet they sell more vinyl there now than they do discs. Well, because nobody...
1: It's weird. Uh, we, we're talking to Charlie about this, but... I've been digging back into some of my CDs just because I've kind of been trying to implement this, like, uh, no screen Sundays thing where I'm like, okay, some time at home where I'm not, like, glued to a phone or a screen. Uh, I've got a nice collection of vinyl. I've got books. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been great. It's been really great. Actually, it's... I was going to say, how's it feel? It feels like you have time. Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's... There's one thing there's that I miss and it's being bored. You know what I mean? Like I don't miss being bored. I like I like constant stimulation. Well, I do
1: too. I do too. We all do. That's why we, you know, we we uh, look at our devices constantly. That sort of thing. Yeah. But when you stop and think about it, like that that just time the, where time seems to be like you know, time's almost a commodity at this point where mm. and the older you get, it feels like like A year doesn't feel like a year anymore. A year feels like it was a week ago, you know? Yeah. All right? Like a decade just went by... Whoa. You're
0: you're blowing my mind right now. And... This could be why everything goes by so quickly.
1: Well, because we're just constantly taking, you know... I thought it was age. ...in
0: information all the time. Well, it's part of that, totally, your perception, but... You know what I think? I think my addiction to screens is fed my fear of everything. Because, like, if I didn't... I mean, of course, we still had the news and stuff on on the TV and all those things, but it's constantly readily available at my fingertips. And I keep looking at, oh, how many people have the coronavirus infected in Alberta today? And, like, how many times did I I wash my hands today? And we get weird dopamine hits and things
1: like that from just not just, like, social media. Like, did I get any likes? Has anybody responded
0: to my comment, my status update? Uh, We're addicted to that. But it also makes me google my symptoms for things you know what (laughs) i mean like i think i always have cancer because of the internet Uh, it's a blessing and a curse so i've definitely decided
1: okay i need to put like just a a, some time aside where i'm at home just enjoy home and not be plugged in Mm. you know go analog for a little while not be a luddite not like i'm not going to (laughs) bomber in the woods you know like i'm a typewriter like here's my manifesto about technology Like, I'm still using electricity, you know, but I'm putting more records and things on. But, you know, I've got a a finite amount of records, and sometimes I'm like, man, there's nothing here speaking out to me. I'm like, well, I do have a pile of CDs somewhere. Let me go dig through those and, and pull out a CD. And it's weird. CDs to me just seem so cheap and, like, they're just not satisfying you yeah, know what I mean it's they, a plastic d- void they they don't hold the nostalgia that like I would have you would think they would right you know like I have a pile of CDs that I started buying as a teenager because that was the medium of the day mm. and right up into adulthood until maybe I don't know like really I, if I, I've even still purchased CDs because maybe I'll be at a show and I want to support a band or a friend who's That's playing a show.
0: pretty much the only reason I buy them now yeah. is,
1: is a local artist. Yeah. Or a lot of times people just give them to me because they're like, mm-hmm. hey, man, here, thanks for coming on to the show. Hey, do you have the my album? And I'll be like, no, I haven't grabbed a copy yet. And they'll be like, well, here, have one. And I'll be like, oh, but people are treating them more like business cards now. You know, like, here you go. And it's like. That's true. And I go, where am I going to listen to this? So I do have a CD player at home. So I'm like, OK, you know what? I'm going to listen to some of the stuff. And it's, it's crazy. Uh, I just. I might even enjoy the music and stuff like that but the experience of putting a CD in and hitting play is isn't satisfying no it's not cool it's not holding any nostalgia for me
0: whatsoever it's weird mm. no it, it it does seem a little more plastic than throwing on a vinyl or something but yeah, something I'm a okay more with disposable about I do it. have attachments still to the just the purchase of an album in general. In its whole glory, the album hasn't been leaked. It came out on a Tuesday, which was back then, new release day was on a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So come out, favorite, favorite band, whatever, I would just invest the whole day in getting my ass into HMV, getting that album, reading the liner notes from front to back while I'm listening to it and it was just soaking it in and it was an experience that I don't have anymore. Well, that's I why, can still, I could still make that happen. But that's why I,
1: I can see why vinyl is having such a resurgence. Because if you like that tangible nature of physical media, mm-hmm. like something that you can put on a shelf, something that you can look at, something you can read the liner notes, mm-hmm. well, vinyl is really the superior version of that. Now, audio quality aside, you can have as debates till the cows come home about what that sounds like. It's still
0: like. got to be originally recorded on tape for it to have a better sound quality. Yeah, I mean,
1: like... We have a mutual friend who yes, will, we do who, who will say that there is absolutely no way a digital master can sound good on vinyl. I think he literally just made a post about that, and he makes posts about it all the time. Yeah, but I do have to say I have a couple of albums that I know are digitally mastered. Mm-hmm. They but they are mastered with vinyl in mind, but they're digitally mastered, and I'm like. They sound really good. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> hey, bud. <laughs> sorry, but a couple of like a couple like not all of them. You know, I get what he means and I understand he's going okay. Like analog to analog, right?
0: Yeah. But there's nothing like analog.
1: It, you know, and there is sometimes, and he's not all the he's not wrong. It's like I'll put an album on sometimes, and I'll be like, oh yeah, this sounds kind of digital, but there the difference is not even that though it's not like okay sound is one thing and we can argue that like i said but it really depends on so many factors when you talk about vinyl mm-hmm. it depends on everything from not just like the turntable you have you know the stylus you have but also just even yeah what is your turntable sitting on you know like yeah. that'll affect the sound oh that's a good point yeah anything so yeah If you want to say... It's not a
0: portable medium. I don't like that they tried to make it a portable medium by making these crossleys that you pull around like a suitcase.
1: Yeah, well, because the sound of those is just utter garbage. And they wreck your albums, from what I understand. they they potentially can. That's a little bit overblown by the audiophile community who are just like, that's garbage, and they're kind Mm -hmm. of fear-mongering a little bit. Oh, that's funny. The only thing I will say is that, yeah, they do sound terrible. And after so many spins, they're going to start wearing your vinyl out. Uh, But... It takes several Like Like the cheapest Flimsiest piece of vinyl Takes like 60 plus spins before And if somebody is listening to an album 60 times They must love the shit out of that album I could easily listen to an album 60 times I know but like You know what I mean Like putting it on Like you
0: have other records And things like that I remember we used to have a record player That could hold like five Like stackable Stacked And then it would drop
1: Oh, yeah. I grew up with one of those, too. It was awesome.
0: When I was a little kid, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, me, too. (laughs) It's like going on a ride at a carnival or something. I'd be, like, staring at it. Me, too. Um, But, like, the thing is, I think about it this
1: way, is that that's the foot in the door for somebody who, if they're going to start taking this seriously they're at some point going to be dissatisfied with the experience of that Crosley player or they're going to look into it and go like okay well maybe this doesn't this doesn't really sound as good as i thought it was supposed to or why where everybody tells me about the a vinyl sounding warmer or better or whatever and maybe they'll look into it and who knows maybe that's the path to like they're going to finally buy their you know their their first like fluence or eventually their Macintosh or something like that, right? Maybe they're gonna turn into an audio file and everything's gonna be like yeah, they're gonna be a mic who has to have it uh, mastered from the original tapes or whatever. That's the path that. He is person. the tape
0: he is the tape master. Oh yeah. That man. So But, I go to a, but I'm saying lot like of but that's stuff. a
1: that's a gateway, right? But here's <clears throat> yeah. the thing is so
0: don't shit on everybody who gets one of those. <laughs> he, right? I told him I was showing you this little device that just came in the mail from Amazon today. Yeah. It's called I'm sure it's from Asia. It's called Super USB Cassette Capture. Mm. I paid thirty-five bucks for it, um, and I, I told Mike, and I sent him the Amazon link, and, yeah. and he, I, I could just visit. I could see him in my mind shaking his head at just me, just like slapping his forehead, <laughs> like oh. He just he wants the best for me. Okay, he looks like that Picard meme, just like oh, hand on his face. Yeah, Yeah, I he, get it. His he wants he wants the best for for what, especially if he knows what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do right. is encode. Everything I tape that I want to keep yeah. into digital and get it done. Just get it done. And I said, I'll just if this thing I, works, I'll get it done and then I'll sell it. I,
1: I know what the problem is with that thing. We don't have to go into it because it's super technical. But I know exactly what the problem is with that thing. Because the companies that used to make those like... Uh, also, Dobley stopped uh, um, licensing their noise reduction uh, hardware. Ooh. so you can't get that anymore on new and also and then the, anyway
0: we could go on the tape heads and things like that they're not well he told me make sure i put in a tape i don't care about for the first one. Oh, that's probably a good idea yeah but and back to right. our
1: point earlier and this is what i'm talking about is like okay aside from the audio experience which i understand we're talking about music and that's important but if you're looking for that tangible thing with physical media, when you pick up a record, Mm -hmm. that piece of art is now in your face. Like, you know, it's something you can put in a frame. It's not a little CD with a plastic sleeve that God just cracks and breaks and whatever, you know, it's, only and it's you know like a cd's how how big like a, a handful inches by handful inches uh what do you got like with a record you've got at least 12 inches by 12 inches probably a little bit more right it's more of a physical it's, being yeah it's, it's it's a real like you can really look at that you can take that in if somebody yeah. puts some effort into their artwork you're, you can drink that in yeah the the lyric sheet if it's in there the inserts that people put in there that sort of stuff like you know that's that's, like, something you can really sit there and you can lay back on the couch and, and you know, put your headphones on or turn up your stereo and, like, really drink that in. It's a more tangible experience. There's ritual to it, you know. Uh, it, it's like going to the altar, you know. Like, you're I'll literally you. making, like, an offer, you know. You're gently putting something down and treating and it.
0: A lot of times there's a story behind the reason why you own that vinyl in the first place, you know, and that story sticks with you, too. For instance, okay, this is kind of – might be silly, but – My favorite vinyl that I own was given to me as a gift from our mutual friend, Kaylee. Right. Because one night the three of us went to her place drinking. Yeah. And I'm looking through her album collection and I'm like, oh, you have the original Tiffany album, (laughs) which was my very first cassette in like 87, 88, something Mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I guess it didn't, she, she didn't have a connection to it like I felt when I was so excited to see it. So I know she had saved it to give to me as a gift, and then she gave it to me, and it was so happy, so right. happy that she thought of me to do that, and it just meant a lot for our friendship to me that she did that. And then I said, "Okay, Tiffany's coming to town," and I got her to sign it. Oh no way! You got it signed? Yeah, I'll show you. While oh, I grab us another, not. I'm well, going to grab can... us another analog See, beer while okay, I. Okay, I,
1: I spotted it. It's up on that shelf, right? Yeah. But look, you have it
0: in a frame. I have it in a <laughs> frame. You, I want to put a better frame on could it. Could you do but... that with a CD? <laughs> Yeah, I've done that too. I'll show you. <laughs> oh, you but let me up, grab us let's grab another round of Can't beers. I'm gonna tell everybody them. what we're drinking today. Um, Analog Brewing has supplied us with our beer for the podcast, as they are our official beer sponsor. Um, they hooked us up with a couple new flavors today. Um, we got a Vienna Lager from them, the Vaporware, which is the one I'm gonna crack next. But we just finished. I I did the new California Common, which is a project that they did together with Apex Apex Predator Brewing. It's like a red, refreshing red ale. And what are you drinking?
1: Uh, I am drinking the Power Up Porter. It's a vanilla session porter. Uh, it's only at 4.9, a little under 5% uh, alcohol, but I've got to say it's Ooh. a very uh, flavorful. It is. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm going to get you another. Right you on. Yeah, s- please please do get me another one. And the description on the back of here says rich, decadent, uh, sessionable. <laughs> ses- do, you, do you pronounce it session or saison?
0: Session. Saison is different
1: they they're di- that's a saison is different okay do you want an IPA a porter a logger well th- uh, common I think I'll I'll keep going with these if okay. you don't mind No, that's
0: good that's good I tell you guys analog has changed my life
1: <laughs> um, This says it's low on the bitterness scale only 22 uh, IBUs Okay
0: so this is what I did.
1: Okay, oh, that's awesome.
0: And then, I have a couple CDs that are signed. Um, I don't need to bring them over. But one of them is signed by uh, by Brian Adams. Okay, yeah, uh, cool, cool. I have one signed by Dallas Smith, um, one signed by Lee Aaron, and one signed by Richie Sambora. So, there's my bragging for today's episode. Well, um,
1: I don't know if you noticed this, but if there's a crowd that still buys CDs, it's, uh, it's an older crowd.
0: Yeah, my well, my mom buys CDs still. Yeah,
1: exactly. When we when we go out and play live, uh, if we sell CDs at all, it's always to people who are in their like forty five plus range. Hmm. Uh, if we go play, so every once in a while we'll end up in front of a crowd that's an older crowd. <laughs> the best CD sales we've had in years is we went and uh, as a favor to a friend before one of our gigs we have to be playing in a town that he is some sort of regional manager of libraries, of of public libraries. And uh, he was like, hey, I noticed you're playing in such and such town. He's like, that's one of my libraries. He's like, is there any way I could get you guys to go in and do like an acoustic session for uh, the seniors and stuff in town? And we're like, okay, sure, why not? Let's do it. And yeah, like, you know, 65 plus crowd. And they bought CDs like, like they were going out of style just <laughs> flying out the door <laughs> yeah i was like oh my god like we must have like they never went out of style well that's just it i'm like wow we should play like we should just print cds and go play seniors homes and
0: <laughs> yeah. libraries all the time you know there's a market there are there are artists that we know that do that yeah quite a, um well there's one in particular oh who are you thinking of I think jukebox Lee is doing that kind of thing. I know he definitely plays at seniors homes. I don't know if he, pro- I don't think he sells them stuff though. I think he just goes to oh, give them, gives them the show and, and it's a, uh, Oh yeah. It's his thing. He likes to, he likes to do and it gives him a lot of, uh, gives him a lot of feel goods, you know,
1: it's really interesting. Um <clears> have <throat> done a couple of those kind of, you know, gigs here and, and you know, they're, they're whatever they are. They're, It's nice, you know, you get a few compliments, you mostly get told to turn down, (laughs) 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 you're too loud, Uh, and you're like, I'm playing acoustically, I can't turn down anymore, but um, we went and played in Europe, and on this tour, we got booked into, I remember our first tour through was 2016, we got booked into this uh, seniors home, this old folks home in uh, somewhere in Belgium, uh, I think in Antwerp, or just on the outskirts of Antwerp, somewhere around there, and of course we don't know what to expect. We're like we're kind of picturing like a senior citizens home like here where they're just like eating like, you know, I don't know, boiled chicken and sp- <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> whatever they eat like Aww.
0: basic boiled chicken.
1: Yeah, just a bunch of walkers and you know like like you know little old ladies like clapping like out of time on the on the one and the three, you know, like But uh we get there and they're setting us up in the old chapel, but it's not set up to be a chapel anymore. Where the, you know, pews would be, they're all out. There's some tables and some chairs. At the back, there's a little bar and a bartender, like a legitimate bartender. And then where we're setting up, you know, uh, where like the altar would be or whatever, there's no altar there, they're using it as a stage. And so, yeah, sure enough. And we start playing our music, and old people start coming in. And, yeah, there's a couple of walkers and some canes or whatever, and they're definitely, like, septuagenarians and up, right? Like, they're getting up there. They're octogenarians and maybe even a few geriatrics, maybe.
0: What's a geriatric? 90?
1: Yeah, when you're in your 90s.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was 50. Well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm so close. Um,
1: but then they're all drinking. They keep going to the bar and getting, like, they're drinking, like, this beer called Duvel, and that's the Belgian, or not even Belgian, that's the Flemish, which is a region in Belgian. uh, Flemish word for the devil, right? Oh, spicy. Yeah, they call this beer the the devil because it's a very tasty Belgian, like, basically a Belgian wit, but, like... I love wit. Yeah,
0: me too. Citrusy, coriander. Oh, and very, just
1: very drinkable, like, just refreshing and drinkable. I know refreshing is a bad word in the craft beer mm. world, but but trust me, the Belgians I hate, know way more about I hate beer, beer. than most of your craft beer snobs think they know. Okay, <laughs> like the Belgians treat beer the way the French treat wine. Let's just put it that <laughs> way. <clears throat> and they're drinking this <clears throat> stuff, and it's strong beer. Uh, and you know, we're uh, about twenty minutes into our set, like they're standing up and clapping, and they're dancing around. About. You know, like by the end of our set, like little old ladies are up on chairs, you know, like hands in the air, like <laughs> it, like it looked like. I mean, maybe it's the fact that it was in a chapel. It's, it's a, a rave. It looked like people had just gotten religion. You know, like some old timey revival under a tent, and you know, like we're the preachers, and they're. I want to go to an old timey revival. Yeah, it was. It, it was the most energy I've seen, not just from old people, but like from some crowds even, you know, like they had mm. more energy. We played for a crowd later that night and somewhere else uh, in God knows where. But like, <laughs> but I remember thinking that night being like, wow, I can't believe the old people had way more energy and got w- so much more into it than, you know, the younger crowds." You know, everybody younger is, you know, just being uh, it's a it's a cool place to go play Europe. Cause and they're not buried in their phones and shit. Not as much, no. I mean, they, they still have all that stuff, too, but they just have a different culture, mm-hmm. um, especially because they have less of a driving culture. Th- they, they, they have smaller sp- amount of space, you know? Uh, when you find, like, suburban areas with, like, houses with little yards and things like that, mm. that's not the rule. That's the exception. And even when you find that, you'll find that because people are raised in this culture where you treat the local cafe, the pub, whatever, like it's your living room, that people even in the kind of more suburby type areas will still take the 20-minute walk or bike ride to the cafe, have two or three drinks, you know, on a Tuesday night, mm. you know, and that's how they spend their evening. And then they go, you know, they go home and, and, and nobody's worried about drinking and driving because... They're on a goddamn bike
0: (laughs) or they're on foot or whatever. Um, That's some small town living stuff that I miss. But you know, in the small towns, people would drink and drive all the time though, unfortunately. But I mean, when we were like in junior high, when I was in a small town, Mm -hmm. you just walked home drunk. Didn't matter how far you were from home, you walked home drunk. Um, Yeah, I've noticed
1: that even in small towns, uh, well, especially in small towns around Alberta, people... Will drive when it's completely unnecessary, <laughs> like they're just so it, conditioned I think they're trying to it.
0: show do you think it's a young people trying to show off their vehicle thing? um, like hey, I've got one. Mm, look at it, maybe
1: I don't know what it is. I think it's a force of habit. I get it like we have mm. cold winters and harsh conditions. It's like it's not as easy for us like you know yeah. in December, you're not getting on your bike and ride down to the local cafe or pub or whatever, but. Like, as an example, Vegreville. Vegreville is a town that I know uh, that you can walk across in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. You can go pretty much from any far point to any other point in not only less than an hour, probably maybe half hour. Holy crap, Vegreville is huge. Dude. Oh, Vegreville's not that big.
0: Does it have a Walmart?
1: It does, but... Walmart, is it over
0: 10,000 people? No,
1: it's like seven to 8,000.
0: So it's not a city yet? No, it's a town. No, okay. Gibbons, Gibbons is what I was thinking. Gibbons, like, oh, yeah. from from one end of Gibbons to another where I grew up, it would five, ten minutes to walk across. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Gibbons, that's from down the Main Street. That's Gibbons, like, is, Gibbons is tiny, too. Uh, if you were going to walk from, like, um, Williams Park, I think it was called Williams Park, all the way to, like, Poplar Park, which is the landing trail or opposite ends of town, now that would take you probably half an hour to 45. Right, Maybe. that's what I'm
1: thinking of. I'm thinking of, like, any, like, if you had to go from the furthest to- – end to the furthest end but yeah if you wanted to walk from any part of town to downtown which they don't really have much of a downtown but they have a main street and 50th street or whatever it is you'd be there in 10 minutes
0: all we had was a max and four liquor stores and IDA
1: my cousins grew up in Gibbons and we would go visit them very often and uh
0: between these two podcasts we, we need to do a night where we go and record the in a bar in Gibbons I would I think that would be really fun I haven't been in Gibbons like Proper in years. Can you guys book a gig there? I don't know. Can at the we? Gibbons Hotel? Where is, where is there to play in The Gibbons? Gibbons Hotel. Yeah? Book a gig there. And it'll be like, we'll do a podcast bonan Like bonanza. Is that a word? Like <laughs> po- podcast bonanza. Oh. Um, and we'll get Andrew's too.
2: Mm.
0: Oh, man. All you know, three podcasts it's at once.
2: It's a Andrew's
1: conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. for interesting uh, places to do live podcasts. So...
0: Um, he might be in he um, might be Yeah, in. I think we should do the, the three, a three-layered three, three layered <laughs> cake with some icing and cherry <laughs> With a cherry on top Yeah <laughs> After
3: these messages, we'll be right back Hey guys, micro-sized, micro-machines, military
1: action reaction. We're deep behind enemy lines with
3: micro-machines F-15 Eagles and A-10 Warthogs are taking off from the battle zone Patriot missile trucks are putting up quite a fight. Apache choppers and tanks are bringing in new troops and meeting with heavy resistance. But our Micro Machines forces are victorious. Yeah! Now available Battle Zones Field Command playsets, Micro Machines Battle Zones playsets, and vehicle packs with figures. Each sold separately. You put them together. It's a conspiracy. A conspiracy. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB.
1: We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the
3: very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies Kylo and Ren. It's a conspiracy. Is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB.
0: Now, we were going to talk about an artist as well today. Uh, Gin Blossoms. Yeah. I'm a big fan of these guys, but I don't remember anything but the hits, so I can't really say that, can no, I? No, that's perfect. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Okay. Okay. So I kind of
1: bullied you into being on the podcast to talk about the Gin Blossoms. No,
0: you didn't. But I I, oh, wow. I
1: pestered you. I, 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 like, I put you on the spot a couple of times. <laughs> I was like, I'm coming on your podcast to talk about the Gin Blossoms. That was like, good. Good. You are. I'm glad. But it's not because I'm... The Gin Blossoms biggest fan or something I'm not like I have to talk to you About the genius That is the Gin Blossoms mm-hmm. There is some genius there But but I'll get to that But I just I was thinking about it And I'm like Every time Long before you ever had this podcast mm-hmm. Every time I, I got talking about the 90s with people I'd be like Look If you want to know what the 90s were all about If you want to know what the 90s sounded like If you want to know what the 90s looked like If you want to know what the 90s smelled like mm. It's the Gin Blossoms The Gin Blossoms are like The fucking uh, I don't know, how do you put it? Like They're just like... The epitome? Epitome, exactly, of the 90s.
0: They are the 90s. They're the 90s. This, this is like when someone writes their thesis for university. Well, I came I, up...
1: Okay, so on, on uh, Learning to Listen, on L2L podcast, I was talking about it, and I was like, if I were writing a thesis, I, I can't remember exactly how I said it, but I re, I rewrote it a little more eloquently, but I wrote down the title of what my thesis would be about the gin blossoms mm-hmm. as regarding the 90s. And I put it this way, Gin Blossoms, from shoegaze and 80s alternative rock to the grunge explosion, how one band defined the sound of rock in the 90s, or, here's my (sighs) alternative title, Jangle and Pain, the tragic story of Doug Hopkins. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) This is a deep story that you don't know anything about. Nobody knows anything about it.
0: Doug Hopkins. Yes, I'm looking at their wiki right now. Um, I could actually click into the wiki. Wikipedia Moments! Gin Blossoms is an American rock band formed in 1987 in Tempe, Arizona. They rose to prominence during the 1992 release of their first major label album, New Miserable Experience, and the first single released from that album, Hey Jealousy. Hey Jealousy became a top 25 hit and went gold, and New Miserable Experience eventually went quadruple platinum. Four other charting singles were released from the album. The band's follow-up album Congratulations I'm Sorry in 1996 went platinum and the single As Long As It Matters was nominated for a Grammy Award. Jim Blossoms broke up in 1997. Since reuniting in 2001, the band has released Major Lodge Victory in 2006, No Chocolate Cake in 2010, and Mixed Reality in 2018. Jim Blossoms has been described as an alternative rock band and as a jangle-pop band. According to Rolling Stone, the band excels at marrying world-weary lyrics with ebullient melodies. In 2017 the Selena Journal described Gin Blossoms as a Tempe, Arizona based indie band, acclaimed by critics and fans alike for its chiming guitars, introspective lyrics, and catchy pop rock melodies, adding that Jim Blossoms has maintained its longevity by being mostly a road band. The group is known for the Mill Avenue Sound, or Southwestern Sound, similar to other bands from Arizona, such as the Sidewinders, the Refreshments, the Meat Puppets, and Dead Hot Workshop. So so who was Doug Hopkins in the band? So Doug,
1: Doug Hopkins uh, was not only one of the founding members of the Gin Blossoms, mm-hmm. but he was the uh, creative leader of the band, so to speak. Uh, he wrote a majority of their songs uh, early on, and he wrote all of their original hit songs. So Wow. Okay. So he started... Doug Hopkins uh, grew up in Tempe. Well, actually, I think he originally grew up in Seattle, but I don't know if Seattle had that much of an influence on him because he was so young at the time. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he ended up in Tempe, Arizona. Okay. And... Throughout the 80s, he was, you know, uh, forming bands. And his earliest band that ever kind of saw any, like, traction or the light of day was a band called Psalms. Okay. And their sound was very, 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 very much like uh, that post-punk, early 80s alternative rock. but, uh, But it had a little
0: touch of, like, shoegaze i've said this to you before i think but i i need to understand what the genre of shoegaze actually means
1: so here's the thing is you don't get grunge without shoegaze okay because shoegaze was actually kind of uh started in the uk and shoegaze is bands like um like uh my bloody valentine jesus and mary chain those are names everybody recognizes
2: yeah
0: whether
1: or not they uh have ever heard those bands Okay. And sometimes those bands are also called like new psych or new neo psychedelic or new psychedelic or whatever.
0: Oh, that's where the psychedelic thing comes yeah, from. Yeah, okay.
1: but they weren't so psychedelic really. Like they didn't they weren't really attached to the earlier versions of psych rock and psychedelic from like the sixties and stuff. It was more just that they, that they really had big distorted guitars. They would bury the vocals in layers of, you know, echo. like reverb mm. and and delay and all that sort of stuff and they had a sound that was uh, slightly reminiscent of of kind of what was becoming the goth movement at the time you know so
0: would jefferson airplane be part of like that'd uh, be before uh, that that's that before would be that.
1: the 60s that would be the 60s but,
0: but that kind of a sound but i think lead what, into that? what
1: people were calling them kind of neo psych or neo psychedelic or whatever for like a new version of psychedelic uh, would be th- just the effects that they would put like on vocals and things like that. Like th- it was trippy in its way, in its own way. So that's why people were kind of getting a new psych. But eventually, the term shoegaze took over because that was a little more, um, aprop- like that. Th- that was a little more on the nose of what it was because these bands uh, would uh, essentially go out on stage and, and try and be so brooding and moody and just stare at their shoes. So. Journalists who were covering these bands would call them shoe gaze bands because that's what they're doing—they're gazing at their shoes.
0: Oh,
2: right? And of is. course,
1: that influence starts to make its way over to the U.S. and that influences a lot of the bands of of the '80s, uh, including bands like uh, REM, uh, Meat Puppets, uh, The Pixies. Later, ooh, on. ooh, the Meat Puppets. You know, so oh, there's I a like lot that. of there's a lot of bands like think about that like that late 80s or mid to late 80s like alternative rock college rock that really informed grunge and and, and early 90s alternative rock think about bands like hair in their face mm-hmm. staring at their shoes like maybe you know moving around but like trying to make it look like they don't even care to be there that sort of thing you know mm-hmm. and you a picture that- canvas shoes
0: oh totally yeah. yeah. Totally, canvas shoes and those are the shoes that and
1: wear. holes in like the knees of your jeans and your flannel and and that sort and of thing. And definitely leads into into oh, the of grunge it does. era. Of it totally makes it does. sense. Okay. So you have Doug Hopkins and he's in this band Psalms and they're 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 a little more straight up new wave, but you can hear that early uh, that that early influence of of eighties alternative rock. Like there could, like I said, like bands like REM probably hugely informed. Uh, and then eventually Moving throughout the 80s You know uh, By 87 I think it was They start this band He starts the band With a bass player From that band song Called the Gin Blossoms And in their early days They go through Numerous lineup changes It's been him Doug Hopkins The guitar player Vocals on and off They hire a guy To do vocals Eventually uh, They get their hands on uh, What's his name Robin Wilson in about 88. And and he takes over as the singer of the band. But Doug okay. is still the uh, principal songwriter, kind of creative director. Uh, Jesse uh, Valenzuela, I think his name is.
0: Valenzuela,
1: yeah. Yeah, Valenzuela. He was originally one of the main singers. But once, uh, once Robin joined the band, he went to the, like, uh, more to... Backup vocals and uh, rhythm guitar. And he still okay. contributed a, a bit to, to writing. And eventually, uh, you know, he takes a bigger role in the band later on. But anyway, so so they're taking, so so they, they it's kind of funny because they were considered part of the Southwestern sound. You know, before grunge really blew up, there was a lot of bands coming out of that, and like contemporaries of them would be uh, like the Refreshments, Meat uh, Puppets. Yeah, those are kind of references people kind of get when you talk about it. It's weird because they don't sound anything like that. What but about the Verve Pipe. Uh that would be way later. That's okay. That, <laughs> that's much I'll later. I'll drink some
0: more beer. and I know what you
1: I know. I know what But I know where you're going with that, and eventually yeah, yeah. we'll get there. Okay. But so, uh, but what I'm t- in time and place of like that late '80s, like where there was a scene there. Well now of course a little thing is is kind of boiling up in Seattle and this it's, is where yeah. yeah we 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 get to uh, to the 90s It's simmering. It's simmering and all of a sudden yeah you, right at the cusp of the 90s these Seattle bands are getting signed and they're blown up. And now labels are like they're looking for they're looking for their Soundgarden they're looking for their Screaming Trees they're looking for their Nirvana mm. you know and of course we all know by what happens by ninety one mm. when Nirvana just goes fucking like next level you know just takes over the world yeah and at this point too you got to think right uh, you've had that, you know, overproduced kind of pop and, and and hair metal and just over the top Stadium Rock and and fucking Van Halen records have nothing but synthesizers all over them <laughs> and you know, David Lee Roth is out and Sammy Hagar is it. And your average like Gen Xer college rock, you know, fan is not gonna buy into the mainstream until like a Nirvana comes along, right? Yeah. You know what
0: I mean? they they were sick of the pose They're posing in the in the makeup and the And the uh, glam look. Well, we just had over a decade and a half of it, you know. Yeah. Like there was.
1: That's true. It it did go on for quite a while, didn't it? Oh, the glam rock of the seventies. You know, there was some. There, of course, I fucking loved it. Like any, (laughs) of course, but like any scene, after a while, you know, you need like okay. So in the seventies, there was some cool, you know, like we, we. you know, th- for for as much Led Zeppelin as there was in the first half of the 70s, it all went KC and the Sunshine Band and Donny Osmond in the second half of the 70s, right? Yeah. And then, of course, for the rock bands to keep up with that, you had like bands like Kiss and, you know, uh, it was going over the top, like, just prog-, prog rock, you know? So even just for your average person who didn't want to pack a lunch to have to listen to a song or, <laughs> or, or didn't want everything sold to them, like... Through That's a good way to put it. Th- yeah, through makeup and theatrics, right you know eventually the these scenes uh these kind of more underground scenes of these like college rock bands who were yeah making some noise uh like like r e m and the refreshments and stuff like that like r e m had some success in the eighties, but it, it not until they kind of bought more into like the pop side of their sound, you know like shiny happy people and stuff like that and whatnot and um Anyway, but that's beside the point. We there was that explosion because people were ready for it. People were just like, "Okay, I'm over it." Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, when you compare what was popular at the time, uh, the pop music of the time is such a like it's it's way on one side of the spectrum, and then the alternative rock of like like Nirvana and Soundgarden are away on the other.
0: You know, like Pearl Jam. If I'm looking at the timeline, yeah. So you're saying '91 is when Nevermind came out. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Did the album actually hit in 91 or did it hit in 92?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I do remember. I remember it being. uh,
0: I feel like it was slightly later than 91. Well, it always took a little while for news to travel back then. That's true.
1: Things always kind of grew a little bit. Most stuff didn't come out unless it was already proven. Like a Michael Jackson, the day he released something, people were anticipating it. Yeah. But a new unproven band especially in a genre that wasn't radio-friendly or hadn't been considered to be
0: radio-friendly at oh, that time. Oh, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And it just started going up the chart, I and know. everybody was like, I mean, there what was, is this? There were some precedents for it. Like, you had some Guns and Roses and stuff like that. Yeah. That just oh, had... yeah, Use Your Illusion was still very huge, those two albums at that time. Oh, yeah. A- Appetite
1: you... for Destruction, I think, is what might have opened the door a lot for a
0: lot more alternative rock to get onto the radio. I found that the rock that used to be the glam bands or maybe just whatever that you would want to call it, whether they were makeup or not. Um, Poison and Bon Jovi and even GNR, these albums were more earthy rock albums that came out for these bands, I felt. For sure, but... but In that but in for that a certain, early 90s but time. For,
1: for, but for a certain appetite of like, and especially for Gen Xers, mm-hmm. I feel like Guns N' Roses was the first band that they were like, you know what, this... This has some edge that uh, that's lacking from the radio altogether. And I think it's funny that it's called Appetite for Destruction.
0: Well, they, they didn't write pretty tunes.
1: No, cause, so I think it, it created a little bit of an appetite. I think it opened the doors for bands like Nirvana. And then, of course, once you hear Nirvana and you're just like,
0: whoa, <laughs> That's know. an interesting take to say that GNR opened the ro- opened the road there for Nirvana, but yeah, they absolutely did. But everybody kind of paves they it. Open, they also for opened the, the, ones the door put- for
1: Metallica to put out a mainstream album. Yeah, people like you know it's all it's all cumulative, right? It's yeah, like, like it,
0: it, it, everyone sets the path in motion. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, yeah, the, But you
1: always have to look and go like, well, somebody created a want or a need in the market. You know, people went crazy for something. So, by the time people are going crazy for grunge, Mm -hmm. and now you're going like, well, we've signed every band in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) You all get a car. Yeah. Now, next thing you know, they're looking around Tempe, Arizona, and they find a band that has like loud, distorted guitars, but they have that... Pop sensibility that a band like Nirvana has, mm-hmm. but they also have that juxtaposition that a band like Nirvana has—a totally different way. But like these are lyrics you can actually understand and
0: get behind. Um, I think there's ah, a good quote that I, I not I, not so metaphoric, maybe just a little more literal. Well, and not just not not just literal, but literal
1: in a way that you know, it's almost still poetic. Like it's
0: so plain spoken that you can't miss the point of it. The first words that came into my mind would, Hey, do you think it would be all right if I could just crash here tonight? You got it, man. You nailed it. So, um, uh,
1: so like, okay. So Rolling Stone had this quote about the, their first major release album and it was called, it's just a, you know, they married world weary lyrics with like ebullient melodies. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, when you think about it, right? Like, there's 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 this like almost painful uh, yet nonchalant way that the vocals are delivered the melodies are very much th- present you know there if you if you didn't know what you were listening to if the singer wasn't singing it like in this, in this case it's uh, Robin uh, what's his name Robin Wilson, Wilson? if if he, he could have delivered that differently but if it wasn't for his delivery you know, You'd be like, this is all jangly, upbeat stuff, right? No, 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 right? Ah, yeah. But that's where this guy Doug Hopkins comes in, and he and he took a lot of those elements in the '80s from like bands like yeah, like REM, and 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 a little bit of that influence of like shoegaze, and, and you just have these drony jangly like guitars that. They they work in that new world of like you know grunge as pop music. They 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 fit there. They fit that aesthetic, but then you have these lyrics that you know, and you have a guy who's singing about like not just how he. Fucked up, but you know, like he's being so real about it. It's refreshing. He's like, t- "Yeah, do you think I could just crash here tonight? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I hain- I have nowhere else to go." There's a line uh, that it's like, "You can trust me not to." Now, mm-hmm. the Robin, the lead singer, changed the line to "think" instead of "drink." Uh, okay. But the original line, written by Dubco- Doug Hopkins, mm-hmm. was was "drink."
0: Okay, which which lyric are you saying?
1: Um, so you can trust me not to drink. And not trust to sleep me around Trust not to think Oh,
0: and not to sleep around Why did he say And if you
1: don't expect tr- too trust much me not to from think. me Because this is the thing At the point in the band Now they're called the Gin Blossoms Yeah And this song we're talking about is Hey Jealousy If we haven't, haven't said that But this is their <laughs> song that broke them into the mainstream And broke them real big um, At that point in their career Not only were they had a reputation for being reckless alcoholics Oh. But their name was the gin blossoms. <laughs> That's named <laughs> there's after There's alcohol in your band name? They they they're named after, well, there's a couple stories about how they got the name, but uh, essentially uh, gin blossoms are a, kind of a nickname for the, Roger, the rosacea that can occur in alcoholics. Oh. When they get the red, you know, patterns on their faces and the like
0: i got a couple of those
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm like proud (laughs) yeah so uh apparently they saw a picture of wc fields the old uh you know Mm -hmm. uh celebrity personality yes and the picture was captioned with like wc fields with gin blossoms because his face was really ravaged with like the rosacea you get from being Uh. an alcoholic
0: is that like the puffy nose, too? Yeah, is big, it is? bulbous. Yeah. The bulbous nose, nose. Okay. I'm not there yet. So, so that's some. what they named their band <laughs>
1: after, because they're like, oh, that's perfect. Let's name ourselves the Gin Blossoms, right? Okay. And this is Doug Hopkins. This is long before uh, most of the members of the band are in the band. This is him and the bass player. Uh, what was the bass player's name? I got to look that up. Bill Lean. That's right.
0: Bill Lean. Okay.
1: Bill Lean. Anyway, so they came up with that name. They're like, that's perfect for us, because we're reckless alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... They, they build a reputation around uh, Tempe, uh, Arizona. They, they they eventually managed – like, they actively try to get signed. They really try to put a band together that's really good. You know, members come and go. Within a couple of years, it's like they go from 87 to 89, and by 89, a little bit frustrated with not being able to get a record deal. You know, they made a bunch of demos and stuff like that they finally managed to get uh, an album out on an independent label called Dusted. And six of the 12 songs on that album are the same six songs that go on to their next EP, that go on to their first major label Mm. debut. They get re-recorded. One of those songs being Hey Jealousy. Uh, I think it's uh, A&M Records uh, signed them.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: In uh, 90, 89, 90, right around the time that, you know, they were starting to like the grunge movement, like the Seattle bands were all starting to get their first records out, getting signed and starting to get a lot of attention. And in a move where they were like, Oh, you know, let's get in on the ground floor of this thing. We, there's bands, uh, there's the Southwestern scene. Let's grab some of those bands. They got the chin blossoms. Now, Doug Hopkins at this point was really, really, really resistant to major label. Because, you know, I just I think probably a cynical guy, a little bit, uh, you know, he'd had a lot of issues. Um but he also knew that he'd have to show up for work. And they got into the studio and right away it was pretty evident that the pressure of the studio, he could not keep it together. He was at the point in his alcoholism where he had to be drunk to be in the studio because Ooh. if he didn't drink, he'd get the shakes, he'd be going through withdrawal, oh. he'd have a hard time playing the guitar, right? Wow, yeah. So, a- AM signed them and they only managed to get out an EP in the entire first s- like their entire first session that was it. And the label, having enough faith in them, kept them around. And they went to try it again. And of course, now in the wake of things like Nevermind Exploding, they're like, okay, let's get you in the studio. We have to make a record. So they made a full length record, which okay, eventually became New Miserable Experience. Mm. That song, Hey Jealousy, followed them from that first, uh, that first uh, independent release to, to this new record, New Miserable Experience. But Doug's alcoholism was becoming such a problem. That he barely finished the record, and before the record was, it was it was almost completed. But before it was completed, the label sat the band down. They had sent now they had made this album in Memphis. They sent uh, Doug back to Arizona. They had flown him out off, off to be like, okay, you like you you your part's done. You're done, whatever, right? Uh, even though they knew the album wasn't completed, and they were like, listen. Doug's got to go. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the band, now there's different accounts of this, of course, because uh, how much they want to admit or how much they were kind of side, like, uh, punched. Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? What's the word I'm looking for? Like taken by. Oh, no, I know what you mean. Like
0: young guys. Just out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Young guys who are all swept up in this, like this is our chances are big break
0: sucker punched like yeah sucker punched
1: a little bit or yeah yeah, that's what i was looking for Uh but you know what i mean like they were taken by Mm -hmm. surprise where it's like look you guys want to you guys want to make it to the next level like right now yeah you're big in your hometown you're small you're a big fish in a small pond Mm -hmm. like do you want to be into the next nirvana you know this is what it's going to take now because of their lifestyle up to this point Doug was in such a position that he was flat broke. He was stealing power from his neighbors with an extension cord going into his apartment. He was barely making (laughs) his rent. Oh, wow. Uh, There's descriptions about the way he lived. Uh, I read this beautiful article. Uh, I should look it up right now. Uh, Actually, calling it an article is kind of a misnomer. Okay. But it was written by uh, a friend of his, a person who knew him really well, who started to play music with him. on and off over the years and then uh, named Brian Smith and it's called Jesus suburbia. And he really describes huh. his uh, relationship with, uh, with Doug Hopkins and he's like, yeah, th- he, this was mattress on the floor, dirty sheets, like bunched up spilled. Porn is fucked and, right up, eh? Oh yeah. Spilled ashtrays and, and beer bottles everywhere. and, and, you know at this point these songs that we like to go back to talking about these experiences writing when you when you hear a song like hey jealousy or found out about you Mm -hmm. and you listen to those lyrics and you know robin wilson does a great job of delivering them but the the lyrical content is so autobiographical you know uh it's got that so plain spoken but like you know you can relate to it but it's also poetic because he's talking about real life you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, he he had had a falling out with a girlfriend who, you know, uh, had uh, left him with like a black eye at a bar after he like confronted her uh, in hey, jealousy. The story is about now he would say that it was about somebody in another band. Oh, I was t- hanging out with a friend in another band. And he was telling me it was girlfriend, but people knew that he was talking about like yeah, an ex girlfriend that you know he would he would he would pine after who was with him for years or whatever. But then you know you eventually.
0: Think- do you think these songs are the story of how he got to be what he is or the stories of that happened while he is this drunken guy? Or do you think this is what turned him? He's telling the stories of what made him, how he is like, well, yeah, what made him miserable? Well, it's like the name of the album, (laughs) right?
1: The new miserable experience. Right. So obviously he's a guy who contended with not just, uh, Alcoholism, you know, like substance abuse and and dependency issues. Uh, but he, uh, like, he obviously suffered with a lot of depression, right? Mm. And I, he he must have he must have been self medicating to a point. Yeah. And at some point, and also just living a certain lifestyle, playing in bands and and uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. If you're that kind of person, and if you're in the band you're playing in, uh, at first it's fun. It's a party. You're all young guys in your twenties. Uh, you know, they're they're all just at a a college and things like that. Uh, Yeah, they're living it up and they're partying and they're having a fun time becoming a, you know, a popular band in their town and and it's really easy to kind of get lost in that you know I'm still good. If you don't have, if you don't have dependency issues, you, you know, you can have fun, like waking up with a hangover is one thing but you can go about your day and and continue, but like if you get yeah. to the if you get to the point where you're so dependent on the alcohol and you try to go clean, but if you if you're detoxing, if you're going through withdrawal, like that's going to you know just be that downward spiral where where you can't control your mood and and it's going to cause friction with your relationships and that's not going to help your depression at all and and it's yeah. just going to be an easy choice to be like fuck it, I'm just going to get drunk again, <laughs> right? Anyway um so so anyway so his alcoholism was well established at this point his songwriting was all about it and the reason that uh robin wanted to change that one line drink to think is because he was like all these songs are about drinking this band's about drinking he's like i just wanted one song where we weren't referencing being drunk or drinking at some point point. He's like, so I just changed it to think so that I didn't have to sing the word drink for like the hundred Uh umpteenth time, right? Ah, okay. His whole reasoning behind that. Of course, that caused tension between them because he's like, well, that doesn't even make sense. Like, what do you mean? Trust me not to think, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I was like, this must make the song more, like it makes the lyric more obscure. Like, you don't know what they mean. It must Mm -hmm. be deep. So,
1: yeah, exactly. But, you know, that that kind of thing was in fashion at the time. Mm -hmm. So. So the label says they'll give Doug $15,000 in what they owe him in advances for the album and whatnot and royalties. If he'll sign over, uh, now let me get this right, Uh, yeah, until he signed over half of his publishing royalties and all of his mechanical royalties to his replacement, Scott Johnson.
2: Ooh. So there,
1: Scott Johnson is the guitar player who's on the cover of the album. He played on the album somewhat. Uh, I know that he like completed some guitar parts and things like that. You know, j- just to get his official stamp. And and as the band went on tour, that's who they took with them was this Scott Johnson, right? Hmm. Now, Doug Hopkins goes back to Tempe. He takes the deal because he needs the money he's living in a squalor you know and i don't know how much money he had coming to him initially but this was their deal they're like look we want this guy to play live and make the royalties from playing live and all the kind of royalties you would get from playing like on things like late night television which was a big thing at the time you know uh all that sort of stuff like you know just any kind of live broadcast uh If they play on a radio station, you know, those are all the mechanical royalties, right? And so this guy, Scott Johnson, would step in and basically, because he's playing these parts that Doug Hopkins wrote, would make his royalties. And he took the deal because he needed the money.
0: So he took the money that wasn't his? Is that what you mean? Scott Johnson? Not that it wasn't
1: his, but yeah. He oh, yeah. <laughs> in a way, oh, okay. no, he got he got. This is a way that to make sure that Scott Johnson would make royalties on his performances. Okay, but uh, yeah, and I'm not sure what the point of relinquishing uh half of the publishing royalties would be. But that's sketchy too, right?
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel right. That's what I'm no, saying. It, like
1: it, it doesn't feel right. So imagine being oh, so I desperate feel- that you take that deal. Oh. <laughs> So, okay. It makes me uncomfortable. This is getting, oh, (laughs) this is dark and it's getting darker. Can I open one more beer? Yeah, you need a beer. Make sure you talk to our good friends Adam and Brian down at Analog Brewing. They're the official beer of Dope Nostalgia. They're at 8620 53rd Avenue. You can catch their tap room open from Thursdays through Saturdays, 4 till 11. Enjoy $6 pints at an everyday low price of $13 for a four pack of retro styles. That's Analog Brewing the official beer of Dope Nostalgia.
3: Now, when you buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1, you'll get Sonic 2 absolutely free. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains, embarrassing bald spots, no problem. It even slices and dices, makes thousands of julienne fries. But wait! You can play it, too! This free Sonic 2 is a $54.99 value. You get two Sonics for the price of one. Sonic 2 fits easily into any tackle box. Made from a space-age polymer plastic for years of family fun. And pets love it, too. Buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1 and get Sonic 2 free! Act now. Wiener Dog sweater sold separately.
1: I am <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you don't know enough about this story because this is fun to tell but good good i like well, it's like watching a new movie word, but it's fascinating to me like this is just something that i think I, if more people knew that they, they oh they
0: yeah no it's, it's good to minds. hear a new story okay. i like i like to learn something sometimes you know yeah so good.
1: now doug back in tempe the band goes off to start supporting their new album It takes a while for the album to get traction. But eventually, the song Hey Jealousy uh, catches on in the mainstream. And it eventually goes up to number four. Mm -hmm. And then on the strength of that, eventually, I believe the album itself starts to sell up towards like gold and then platinum numbers, right? Mm. One song. Um, So Hopkins uh, at home in Tempe, apparently feeling... A little bitter, a little uh, resentful, mm, yeah, and really, really struggling with his his alcoholism at this point. You know, uh, starts a couple of bands. Uh, he starts a band called the Chimeras, who eventually actually become the Pistoleros. I don't remember if you remember the Pistoleros, but they had uh, they had a top forty hit at one point, which was also penned by Doug Hopkins, but he was not in the band anymore. Um, and then so. You know, he's really struggling because he's watching this band have all the success that he was forced out of Mm -hmm. playing his songs. Eventually, he gets a gold record. Like, you know, here's a gold record. And at some point, he decides, okay, it's time. He's going to, like, clean up and go to detox, right? Like, he quits Chimeras abruptly. There's some stories that uh, it's hard to... um, Um, confirm that like just in a fit he walked off stage during one of their sets but this is all within (laughs) months like uh, New Miserable Experience the album was released in June of 93 but uh, okay so February 92 he's fired uh, from the band okay and there's about a year that goes by there it takes I don't know why it takes so long maybe something to do with like all the there's red tape. Yeah, the red tape that like getting him to sign things. Like I said, they withheld the fifteen thousand dollars from him. But the, but the album gets released in June of ninety three. Okay. And then the song "Hey Jealousy" eventually peaks at number four. Uh, it and was event-
0: it was a summer hit, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, feel like I feel yeah. like it
1: was. And it and it and it goes gold. And I remember I remember it being on the radio. Like I remember, you know, digging that tune when it came out, and starting to pay attention to that band. Yeah. And so. Uh, So yeah, so anyway, so then all that time passes and then maybe it was that there was some time that passed or whatever, he starts this band the Chimeras uh, I, he played in a few other little projects here and there, back in Arizona and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like quits abruptly causes scenes, you know all kinds of problems, eventually checks himself in to detox, not to rehab but like to detox and then in the first few days of detox at some point he sneaks out and he buys a 38 caliber pistol and on december 5th 1993
0: he commits suicide (laughs) sakes well Uh, i knew this was a happy story (laughs) i shouldn't be laughing it's not funny but no it's not but damn what a tragedy guy like there was there was a glimmer of hope in the whole story and he, he just he
1: supposedly had the gold wall or gold wall gold record on his wall mm. for about two weeks until in fit of rage he took it down and smashed it.
0: He was so I wonder how the guys the other guys felt about just the whole thing. It must have been heavy on them the whole time, well, big and, time. and and especially after the death, and like they're, they're they've got this newfound success so think about this, okay.
1: So, yes, that happens, and obviously that's going to weigh on the band. Mm-hmm. You know, they were enjoying their success at this point. like And learning how to deal with it, I'm sure. Yeah, so I was watching a lot of, just to do a little bit of research and make sure I knew what I was talking about, and I found a lot of videos, a lot of old VH1 and MTV videos that were like, hey, new hot band, uh, you know, the Gin Blossoms are taking, and they're like, Ooh, we, we we went with them back to their hometown, to, you know, for their big, like, show at home to, like, what a blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're walking around, and they're supposedly their old stomping grounds. It's mostly the lead singer there, Robin, uh, I can never remember. Wilson. Name, Wilson. Gotcha. And uh, talking or whatever. And then there's that Scott Johnson guitar player behind him. I'm like, well, I don't know where that guy came from. You know, was like he selected mm-hmm. by the
0: record label? Was he an old buddy of theirs? Probably, he's been probably like a session player or something like that. Yeah, right? something
1: like that. But he fit the aesthetic of the band or whatever. Anyway, and then like I'm like, oh, it's 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 weird, you know? Like there's got to be part of them that goes like, we're running with this name, but the guy who's really the heart and soul of this band is not in this band. Like the guy who wrote our big hit and then their follow up hit and all the songs that they charted on uh from that first album at mm-hmm. all. Uh yeah. Like he wrote all those songs.
0: <laughs> so so what happens to the band after he dies? Like how do what do they do to carry on? So the first thing that happens is uh they have a
1: single that comes out on the Empire uh, record soundtrack. Like looking at the
0: wiki right now. Oh. <laughs> I saw the, the I remember this song very well. Yeah. Uh, and that movie, I love that movie. I think it's till I hear it from you. Till I hear it from you. I
3: didn't ask.
1: That song was actually written by the other uh, member that they founded the band with, uh, uh, Jesse uh, Valenzuela. Okay. And he's actually the one who goes on to write any of the songs that... or He really becomes the person who writes most of the songs. Uh, and then eventually they put out an album... Uh, so in February 96, so it takes them that long. So it goes from 92 to 96 before, like, well, they, 93 is when they recorded, So three years with that stop gap of the Empire Records uh, single. Okay. And the album that they put out is called Congratulations, I'm Sorry. Oh. Think about that. Oh. <laughs> referencing. Congrats on their, your gold oh, record, oh. I'm Sorry You're Dead. Yeah, well, they. here's the thing is that uh, at that point, New Miserable Experience was going so strong, it had gone quadruple platinum.
0: Oh, yeah. So congratulations, this app. Congratulations, but I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not even so, congratulations, but I'm sorry. It's like, I well, I don't congratulations, know. Congratulations, I'm sorry. Like I, I would think that. I get it, I get it. I,
1: there might be, like, maybe it's a little bit. snide on their part i don't know maybe they were that's the way
0: they were dealing with their guilt uh i don't think that's snide i don't i don't feel it as snide i feel it like them expressing that hey this is great all the things that happened but i'm sorry you're not here to be a part of it okay maybe you might be
1: right the other way you could see it is that they're a band that was like you know that we're still going you proved your point. Now we all feel awful. Like, congratulations. You made us feel bad. That's
0: the thing about suicide is, yeah. Well, it's like, like, it's 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 what does it leave everybody else well, with that, in okay. the end, right?
1: Like, if, to be just completely real, um, suicide is an incredibly selfish act, right? Now, that's not to put down anybody. Who's dealing with. Who's dealing with those. Yeah. Or has dealt with, like, the, but, but. But it's true, right? Because you are 100% putting all of that, you know, uh, misery on everybody else. Like, you're, it's, you know, I'll show you, you'll I be I think sorry. in their
0: head, they think they're a burden to everybody else. And they think that everybody else will be better off without them. That's often the thinking. Sometimes. I think, you know, it's. When they don't realize, like, how many people actually love them and that you've. I think you think you've got to think about like how you feel about people in your life and if the if you lost that person and they killed themselves how much would that hurt you well it's going to be the same thing I know but when you're in that state when you're in that much pain yeah know, yeah exactly you, just, you don't
1: think clearly and you don't
0: you I don't I don't I don't want us to be really dark today either but like yeah <laughs> sorry. sorry I, mean, I like, came out here like made no, everything no, no, so no, dark no no no, no 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 I mean I didn't want to make it more dark at, then then the story is 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 definitely like a dark story but something cool came out of it and there's all this great music and everything that happened with this band
1: well once you know the story of of the gin blossoms and doug hopkins it really adds so much more weight go back and listen to those
0: songs now yeah knowing, i didn't know the story at all knowing
1: that knowing about that guy knowing what he was going through knowing what he went through
0: i don't even know if i want to now <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i don't know yeah it adds so it's, much it's more dark.
1: it adds so much more weight to those those lyrics and and yeah um so basically what happened with the jim blossoms was that they did put out an album called congratulations i'm sorry mm-hmm. now you can maybe say that they were victims of the sophomore slump You know, a record label didn't put as much effort into promoting their second album as they did their first album.
0: I feel like I can picture the graphic of the... I want to see the album graphic from that. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to click on it here.
1: But I also tend to think that without the edge of, uh, you know, Doug Hopkins' uh, poignant and personal lyrics, you know, that, that they just kind of... that jangly uh you know guitar rock sound that was fresh in the early 90s just kind of gave way to like you know the generic sound of like alternative rock of like the later 90s mm-hmm. and then they just kind of got lost in the obscurity of of you know like by then people were on to bands like fucking Hootie and the Blowfish right <laughs> so um I, um i have a quote yeah. here uh that i think kind of exemplifies it uh, from the shepherd express now the actual author of this did not uh was not credited so this is this is just credited to the shepherd express but it's when hopkins left the band the gin blossoms lost not only their best songwriter but also what little edge they could claim though the band continued to write on their own pleasant singles that struck a similarly sorrowful note namely till i hear it from you and follow you down None cut as deep as Hopkins. Oh, follow you down, yeah. And gradually the groups have come to their pay, play it safe adult alternative tendencies. And that's why I think that the story of the Gin Blossoms is the story of the 90s. It's got everything wow. It's got everything in it. It's got the desperation that led to like you know that grunge like rock alternative rock explosion of the early 90s how eventually the that that edge and bite of those bands from the early 90s just became genericized and turned into like the 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 generic alternative rock of the late 90s where okay the Verve pipe
0: yeah the right. Verve pipe down the legacy <laughs> yeah
1: the legacy of a band like the gin blossoms is the freshman the Verve pipe like all mm. that sort of kind of you know they even hootie and the blowfish can be like they're just the even safer version of like the gin blossoms you know like mm. let her cry is a song about somebody getting strung out or whatever right uh, but like the it, it's how do the like the hootie and the blowfish go like, oh, we can do stuff real safe too, you know, like we can make that just sound like a like a like a jangly radio pop song, and they sure as fuck did, right? And I'm not saying that there isn't any substance to those lyrics or whatever, I'm just saying that the sound just became so so generic and, and, and the band just got so lost in that, that it's, no wonder people got over that and kind of moved on to like, you know, eventually you end up with your uh, boy and girl bands and, and your uh, new metal and whatever, because at least new metal, for all its flaws, had a little bit of edge to it, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah. a superficial edge. I know what you're saying, though. like things kind of got a little soft and still, still the the melody factor of the music of the early 90s, uh, in the rock genre. Matchbox 20 being kings of writing hooks at, as well mm-hmm. in the mid, in the mid there. But the thing that I made- I, I I miss that.
1: Yeah, but the thing that made alternative rock interesting in the early '90s was all this juxtaposition of these big guitars, but also somehow fitting into this like pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. Like Nirvana were obviously the kings of that. where like, you know, like they made they made essentially what would be pop hooks sound yes dark and heavy.
0: Yes, because essentially what makes you pop is whether you can write something that sticks in someone's head or not. That is, to me, what defines pop music, is a hook. Yeah. Right? So you could put a hook in country. You can put a hook in rock and roll. You can put it in grunge. Mm -hmm. And yes, Nirvana was that. They pop hooks in grunge music. The lyrics were half the time unintelligible, very metaphoric, but... There, he was telling a story. You just had to figure out what that story meant to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think with the gin blossoms is that you have that same sensibility, but in a in a package, it's a little bit more, um, not digestible. That's not the word I'm looking for, but I'm like, you know, it's it, it's, it, it draws you in in the fact that you're like, okay, it, it's a big guitar sound, but it's it's jangly, it's you know, it's it's poppy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then it's juxtaposed with the ennui of these like lyrics of of, you know, like I'm
0: a fuck up and you know, like I'm desperate and and all It's this real, sort of it's <laughs> real feelings. It's not like, Hey, I like you girl. Yeah. It's like serious feelings where it's like, Hey, I feel like shit about myself, but man would I'd give for that to have this da da da. It's 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 just more and it, it's it, written from a different perspective. And it's crazy
1: how when a band tried to recapture their own essence that they just genericized themselves and became lost in the, the, the noise. Like, I don't mean noise like isn't like the, I mean like just the, the static almost of, of, of like all of these bands that now sound like this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's why to me, I'm like, yeah, these guys kind of define it all. Look, if a big important thing is that uh, Kurt Cobain, you know, killed himself, (laughs) like that's that's a, that's like a, what do you call that? Like a a signpost or like a, you know, whatever, Uh, well then this guy did it months and months before like i guess he did it four or five months before
0: <laughs> i say why <laughs> why do our musical heroes have to die because they couldn't handle the burden of being a hero
1: right maybe i don't know in his case i mean i feel bad i would read that uh jesus the suburbia article it's, it's pretty dark it's about a friend like talking about reflecting back on not only having uh his friend uh doug hopkins in this case like reach out to him and be like yeah i think i'm gonna do it and then he kind of explains like there go, goes back and forth about, uh, you know, moments in their past and then brings it back to like, not contemporary, but like, you know, uh, aligned with the timeline of like, okay, from the time he told me that that was going to happen to when he actually did it and me thinking about like our lives up to that point. It's really, really poignant. It's really interesting. Um, you know, he really talks about things like, like hey man, like your song is the biggest song in the world right now. Not really, but like, you know, it's going to be big. It's the album's going to be great. You're going to have so many royalties coming where all your problems yeah. are over. <laughs> Listen, think about like he tells him that he told him like think about it this way. They're out there working for you. Mm. Right? You know, and maybe he didn't know about the situation of the royalties or maybe he did, but but he he would have had some royalties coming to him. He would have been better off, you know.
0: He would have been financially stable.
1: Oh, yeah. To this day, it's not like you don't turn on the bear and you don't hear a song like. Uh, do you think the like bear? found out about you or Hey <laughs> Jealousy. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So. I don't yeah.
0: Know. No, no. Yeah, I get it. In your in your in the uh, in the retro stations. We have many stations that would play Jim Blossoms to this day and they do. Oh, well, yeah, whatever. That, and they what, do. And there's serious radio stations that play them. There's still a band that you play one of their songs and we know we've heard that before. We know this song. I also just think it's now, th- what are they doing now? Well, that's
1: the case. So they were done by '97.
0: So you said they're actually done. There's because it no, says there's a reunion. They're
1: back. They they got back together sometime in the early 2000s in some capacity.
0: Maybe doing some shows. And I
1: think the only consistent members have maybe been or Robin uh, Wilson and uh, Bill Lean. Okay. Um, I'm not even sure if that's totally true, um, but they have. They've even put out uh, new material uh, and things like that. But I've. I don't, like, it. none of it's uh, crossed my radar. I have no idea if <laughs> I haven't listened to it or anything. Okay. So I'd be uh, curious, but... Uh,
0: so it sounds like there's at least one or two uh, original members at this point. Well, um,
1: the only truly original member, if you want to be a purist about it, would probably be Bill Lean. Yeah. Because everybody else... Who joined the band And maybe I guess if Jesse That uh, makes sense
0: For like the peer members But I mean like But the ones from the hits Would definitely from be From the New Jessie, Miserable Experience lineup Yeah Jesse and Robin
1: Yeah from the New Miserable Experience lineup It's more or less the same I mean uh, Scott Johnson came on Towards the end of that album And obviously he was there So they I don't know if they were playing shows Or what they were doing For that God nearly what A year and a half Before the, the album actually came out
0: Mm-hmm um, I'm gonna message these guys up and see if they want to come on and ha- do an interview sometime. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, why not? That'll be interesting. That'd be really interesting actually. why not? I, I haven't hit them up for an interview yet. Um, would, would you ask them questions about like, so Doug Hopkins. Mm, you know what? I would ask some questions pertaining in a in a positive light about how he influenced you guys and um your your fond memories of of him. and, yeah, I try to keep these things on the positive as much as I can.
1: And then I come on here and be like,
0: no, 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 dark, dark, dark. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is I try to keep a light interview and I Mm -hmm. like to also ask people like really some questions that don't even pertain to their, to their music, like talk about goofy stuff too, you know? So I keep it light, but I definitely sometimes will say like, Hey, we should talk about this and give me something positive you took from that can you can do that absolutely
1: yeah for sure well that's cool yeah so um i think like i said the the album just didn't it, it sold it did okay like the the 2nd album. um congratulations, congratulations i'm sorry but yeah, yeah it ju- i just it just didn't have whatever that first album had and and by some time in early 97 they, they were just done and I tried to look up r- what they cited as reasons but they didn't really uh, other than they just said like oh you know interest in new projects and things like that and they all kind of went off to do little side projects here and there and and continue making music and obviously eventually they got back together so <laughs>
0: to this on june 25th 2019 the new york times magazine listed gin blossoms among hundreds of artists whose material was reportedly destroyed in the 2008 universal fire i remember hearing about this fire at universal studios where a bunch of a bunch of original material reels and such were lost like lost forever
1: yeah huh i wonder what they had
0: Yeah, no, it's probably just like their original reels of all their well, analog stuff or digital tapes and such.
1: Um, when I went to look for uh, their stuff on Spotify, I found that it was actually really hard to find a uh, just a, uh, an original release version of their albums. It was all kind of... Remastered? And like deluxe versions with like bonus tracks. and.
0: I wonder how they pulled that all off if all their shit was ruined. I don't know. I mean... yeah, Maybe... There's I mean there's there's gotta be tons and tons of depends, digital copies. Depends, out there. depends which material like I didn't know if you could remix or remaster anything without the original reels. If it's if you're talking analog, yeah. But if you're talking digital, there's probably the VST files and such, right? Yeah. They still exist in somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, no, um we'll try to get them on and well, that'll be
1: interesting. I'll be really curious. I always like to put the offer
0: out. I'll be listening know. if
1: that happens because, <laughs> because I've been thinking and talking about this for a little while now. Like once, mm. I don't even remember exactly how I stumbled on this, um, but I realized that I didn't know. I didn't know then about the real story of the gin Blossoms. I only found out more recently in the last few years or whatever. Mm. When I stumbled on the story, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Why don't? Why doesn't everybody know about this? Why wasn't this a bigger deal? Why didn't this overshadow their career more? What like, you've
0: told me today has completely blown my mind because nobody knew these stories. Nobody knew about Doug in the popular mainstream culture. Not at all. It was like really good to know where all of their amazing stuff came from on that very first album, and and now it, unfortunately it's very tragic, but
1: it is very tragic, but. Like I said, I think that that is very relevant to the the feel of the '90s.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean, um, especially at it, the at the precise time when things were changing. It's over. a very
1: Gen X story, and I think that. You know, w- w- we've been having all these conversations lately about boomers and millennials, and, <laughs> and and you know, I've been having a lot of arguments about with people about where I fit because apparently I don't qualify as a Gen Xer, but I sure as hell don't feel like I'm what a millennial. What year? Were, what year were you born? Eighty-one. So I
0: I think you're an x I well, I'm a, I am an exennial. So I'm kind 77 of seventy-seven to eighty-three, I think.
1: Uh, they are basically okay. So I I looked it up, uh, uh recently. And the, yeah, the definition I just came closest to is like, if you were born while the original Star Wars trilogy was being released, <laughs> so yeah, like 77 or 78 to yeah. 83, then you're on the cusp. You qualify as an Xennial. Yeah. I, I'm like, okay, I guess I have to reconcile with that because I definitely don't feel like a
0: millennial. The thing is, I think we would just be called Gen X if it weren't for that one defining quality that makes you an Xennial you were alive with and without the internet you basically experience life with it and remember that life mm-hmm. and then the internet came yeah oh i i think i, I think that's the defining quality then. i know I would I, say... and the thing is you're an active user of the internet yeah you not not like the boomers who know about the internet some of them use it i think you kind of have to but, but they don't embrace it the way we did i know i i think of it as like
1: um, pop cultural milestones that's what i was looking for that word earlier milestone mm. um uh I, okay so minor or major you know things like okay if i if you knew who kurt cobain was or kurt cobain's death had any impact made you on your cry lives,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> if you went to school and all you could talk about with your friends was like with kurt cobain for you mm-hmm. know Days and weeks on end, and if you immediately went out and bought like in utero and, and unplugged, yeah, you might be a Gen Xer, right? Yeah, you might be. Um, if the movie that we were just talking hey, about, New earlier, Kids on
0: the Block, makes me cry, okay?
1: <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> um, if if the movie Empire Records has yeah any relevance to your life, yeah, you might be a Gen Xer, yeah. That's not. I cannot see a millennial. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't asked enough millennials. But I don't think I would know a millennial. Like what?
0: What millennial would? What about would, Dazed and Confused? I feel like that's a Gen Xer movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that there are. What about Ace Ventura? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. If you were there and, and oh, embrace the the okay. entrance of Jim Carrey into the world.
1: No, here's the test. Listen, it's not that if you if you saw um, Ace Ventura. You're a Gen Xer. It's if you can watch it now and still think it's the humor is is <laughs> funny and not offensive. Oh, then you're a Gen Xer.
0: Okay, I I struggle with these things though. That huh, and you mean still think it's funny? I get you. I think you're an Xennial if you go, ooh, yeah, you can't say that now. Okay, and then, you're, an, no, you're And a Gen Xer, a Gen Xer a would be like, yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's how you know you're an exennial, okay? Is if you watch uh, Ace Ventura, and spoilers, when you get to the uh, Einhorn <laughs> is a man or whatever, right? Or Einhorn, what's her what's her name? Uh, Finkel. Uh, oh, it's Finkel and Einhorn. Yeah, yeah. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel, Finkel is, is Einhorn. Einhorn. Einhorn is a man, and he like <laughs> turns her around, and she's got her dick tucked up in her panties. Yeah. In his panties, her panties, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, if you're an exennial, you laugh to yourself. <laughs> but you think, yikes, I don't know if I'm allowed to laugh at that. If you're a millennial, you'll be like, well, this is clearly offensive and I'm going to go blog about it.
0: I want to be offended. And if you're a J- I want, I want if you're JXer,
1: you're just like, huh, yeah, whatever.
0: <laughs> There's no point in sweating it. Mm hmm.
1: But it's, what's saying. done is done. That's just the whole thing about Gen X is that, uh, you know, that I identify with the most. It's that, like, there's no point to anything. So who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Gen X was really good. You've got
0: to be looking. A lot of people are out there looking for things to be pissed off about. Right? And the thing is, here's what happened in the 90s. There's all kinds of stuff that might piss you off now if you watched it. Let it go. Let it go because now things have changed so much for the better. So don't worry about it. Yeah, well, things are progressing in in a nice way. Yeah. So what I what I except except coronavirus too
1: with like <laughs> Gen X is that ability to uh, be independent, and you know what I mean. Like our parents were so, who were boomers, were so much more detached. You know, the not like the, you know like they didn't just treat us, but like accessories or anything like that, but but we had a lot more freedom and i don't mean in that like oh we got to run in the streets until i mean like our parents were working and
0: and and oh, yeah. they let us come home from school without going to daycare or whatever you know like i've never been to daycare never 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 but that's i also a, I, but a, i also had grandparents that helped me raise us sure, two, right absolutely. like they were always there when my mom had they'd pick us up from school sometimes and they they were always there when my mom was sure, busy sure
1: but but think about yeah the experience of like your your friends and 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 you know your peers yeah you know like i would go over to my friends houses after school for an hour or two their parents wouldn't be home you know mm-hmm. and we were just there to like
0: wait till their parents got home or my parents got home or some whatever. of the coolest things i learned as a child was from going over to a friend's house for dinner like, cause especially if it was like, um, like the, one of my friends was Lebanese. So we went to their house for dinner and I didn't know anything about Muslim culture or anything. This is like great one. And I just remember eating all this amazing food I'd never had before, but I'm like, this is so cool. I learned so much from, you know, another culture. Yeah,
1: like, there, there's a lot of evidence to say too, that like, okay, maybe, uh, millennials are very aware obviously of, of things like race and gender and gender. You know, those sorts of identity things or whatever that that seems to be the forefront of of what they care about. But we also were the first generation um, that had the, the children of a lot of like mass immigration or whatever. Mm-hmm. Our schools were very integrated. Yeah. You know,
0: and huh. like it's not if, like- if you were in a city school.
1: Yes, absolutely, of course. If yeah. you
0: if you're in a small town, not so much.
1: Well, that might be a difference, yeah. But I grew up in schools that were definitely very integrated, and like, yeah, there was definitely still more white kids than there were like, you know, other yeah. kids. But like,
0: but that's not the case now. But well... now it's very it's very mixed now. Everybody's everybody's all multicultural. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing.
1: I, it was definitely a good thing. But
0: and they and they used to celebrate it too when we were in, like, because well, in elementary, I was in the eight. That was the eighties for me, so. Mm-hmm yeah me too yeah yeah like it was it was like we'd have these cultural days where we'd celebrate this country or this country and whoever was from that country would bring some cool treats from home that they made like different we could taste the food and talk about their culture and experiences it was exciting to learn about each other
1: yeah no yeah it was absolutely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure um yeah you might be a gen x or if i uh I guess so I'm, I have to reconcile with this Xennial thing because, yeah, I definitely was logging on to the Internet like er, fairly early on, sometime in the early to mid-90s. You know, I was going to like the computer lab at school and learning how to, you know, Beep. dial in Shh. it. Yeah, dial up modem, <laughs> dial up a server. That's, would that's use our,
0: that sound is part of our theme now. I just started it last week. <laughs>
1: You know, I, I was a very, very early adopter of uh, of file sharing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I might have been uh, on Napster. <laughs> Who was it? Stealing yeah. money from Metallica.
0: They got over it, right? They, they did, actually. Th- I think they got over it.
1: Um, What? I cannot remember. I think they're friends with Sean, Sean Fanning.
0: Sean? Sean Fanning. I think they're. And Lars. I think, think they they work together now. Buried or something. the
1: Hatchet and like, yeah, they hang out and shit now. I don't know what they're yeah. doing. Like, I think they. they I think. Lars might have invested in
0: Napster or something? He invested, I think, in some they they've got something going on. We gotta look that up.
1: They got something going on.
0: Yeah. Hmm. They got something going on. I suppose I could look it up right now, but I'm not going to. It's not <laughs> Let's not bother. Let's not bother. Because we're we're gonna wrap I almost said it wrap it up (laughs) i was gonna say we're gonna wrap it up
1: term. you can use it if you want to
0: i do want to thank you so much quinn for being on the show and and sharing the history of jim blossoms today
1: well thank you thanks for having me
0: you can come back anytime
1: well thanks for letting me even though it got dark
0: (laughs) next your next episode you're gonna be the happiest fucker ever and you're just gonna tell us about something super fucking like sweet and like upbeat.
1: I know. I just felt like the story of the Jim Blossoms had to get
0: out there. And it you, has to get out there. And you portrayed it really well. Well, thank you. Thank y- you. Thank yeah. you very much.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah no, it's, it's good. It's good that we learned about the Jim Blossoms and, and the root of what, where they came from. Mm-hmm. And honoring the memory of, of Doug, right? Doug so. Hopkins, yeah.
1: Um, you know what? Now that you know about Doug Hopkins, look into him and, and, and just... Go, like, do a rabbit hole on YouTube. Uh, there's lots of videos. People have put compilations of everything. You can even find recordings of that band, that original early 80s band, The Psalms. You can find their stuff. It's crazy.
0: Well, you know what, um, Quinn? I'm going to have you on again sometime. And check out his band, The Give Em Hell Boys. Oh, shit. Thank it's you. It's Give Em Hell Boys. It's not The. No, it's it just is. just Give him Hell No, it's The Give Em
1: Hell
2: I Boys. I thought it was the
0: opposite. No, 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 no. But oh the, you know what? shit! You're just
1: like everybody else, they always drop the.
0: <laughs> I thought we were saying last time that people add the. No, they drop the. the. I have a hat with your fucking band's name I mean, on it. it and it I didn't even the. see the.
1: Yeah, we're a the band. We're the. not Ramones. You know, <laughs> we're not Gin Blossoms. Yes. Yeah. See, Gin Blossoms are not the band. They're not the Gin. Blossom. Oh, I was
0: thinking of Odds. Odds and the odds. Are they just they're just odds? They're just odds. Yeah. But it's the Give them Hell no, Boys. Everybody else is dropping the. the we picked it up. We're check, like... Please check out the Give them Hell Boys because their music's all over the place. You can find it on all your favorite apps to listen to tunes. And as well, next week, I'm really excited about the interview. We're going to be featuring Simone Denny, the lead singer of Love Inc., Chris Shepard's awesome dance band back in the day. They were big in Europe and and Canada and I think quite a few other countries. Good old Chris Shepard.
3: Crazy. Pirate radio.
0: (laughs) I've been trying to find that man. But I got a lot to share about him. And I think we're going to have a special guest um, talking with me next week as well, who used to be a DJ on good old Power 92. So you guys take care and we'll see you later.
1: Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email. Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, Dope underscore Nostalgia. This podcast-